I really like today's podcast, uh, Tales from the Couch, where I'm going to actually go back to Milwaukee's win uh, in New Orleans because I love that game. We'll get into that. And then some of the stuff from last night. Daniel Jeremiah on the college season being behind us and so the bowl stuff. We're going to talk some of the QBs at the top, some other players as well. It's not going to be all QBs. And then revisit how he feels about the first rounders from the 2021 class. Life advice and a girl emailed. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. We'll start on Wednesday with Tales from the Couch. Not a great night. And uh, once we kind of get through the football thing, I feel like I need to pick a better night. Like Monday was better. Tonight's going to be better. Friday, I'm not doing a Saturday morning pod, but you get the point. Uh, really, the only night worse than Tuesday would be Thursday. But maybe dig in a little bit deeper. I do want to talk about Milwaukee and New Orleans from earlier in the week just because that was one of my favorite NBA regular season games. So I actually am going to touch on that one a little bit. So uh, let's start with what we have. Uh, let's talk Knicks, eight in a row. They're the sixth seed today, four and a half games behind number one seed Milwaukee. Uh, the East still feels like 13 teams for 10 spots. That's including Orlando in the play-in race. They're two and a half games behind number 10. Uh, if Orlando had steadier point guard play, I think they're a play-in team. And I do think they're going to get better. I mean, granted, all this stuff is based on injuries and who wants to play and who doesn't. Uh, we know Orlando's guys are younger, so they're likely going to play. Uh, but I just feel like if their guard play was steadier, because there's certain nights, and I'm not just saying that from the Boston perspective of it, where I like the team. And we liked them before the season started when we were talking over under. So there you go. A little magic talk for you. Um, the Knicks win against the Pacers at Indy was a nice one. By the way, the Pacers slipping a bit. Nine seed now. Um I think they were up 39 on Golden State. I don't know if it actually got to 40 points last night. <laughs> now, let's go back. They lost the Knicks, lost to Dallas on December 3rd. They were 10-13. and 13. Uh, There was talk about Tom Thibodeau being out, grumblings in the NBA you know, gossip world, where some of the stuff never comes out, what you'll hear gossip-wise. Like I remember hearing something about David Griffin last year very early with the Pelicans. And you're like, oh, I wonder if that will happen. Nope. Now they have the deepest team in the NBA and we're battling for one seat in the West. So, you know, Steve Nash is going to run the Suns. Doc Rivers is going to go back and run the Orlando Magic. I mean, the amount of stuff that you hear that actually never ends up happening. I don't know how close uh, it would be for the Knicks to move on from Tibbs, but he's the kind of coach when things aren't going right. You could see players being like, ah, I'm a bit over this. However, uh, they've won eight in a row. The rotations have changed since that Dallas game um, and if you look at some of the number stuff, like Fournier hasn't played since November 13th. Rose and Reddish are out. Uh, Reddish hasn't played since the Dallas game. Rose has played four minutes since the Dallas game. The Knicks on the season are 11th 
on offense and seventh on defense in the last eight. They're the number three offense in the NBA and the number one defense in the NBA and the number one rebounding team. Miles McBride, who I loved before the draft, but still kind of had reservations about what he really would be as an NBA player because of the shot making is just absolute toughness. He right now has the best on and off numbers for any Knicks player, according to Cleaning the Glass. So that checks out. Uh, Randall is more like Randall from two years ago, not miserable ISO Randall from last season. There's still going to be some possessions where you don't always love it, but he's just, you know, two years ago was remarkable for him. There was even talk, remember, he could have waited it out, see if he could hit the contract with an even bigger number. He took the money, and then last year, like, man, it's a good thing he took that money. But it just feels like he's back to the guy that we saw a couple years ago and not last year where you're like, what, what's going on with this guy? Um, he's 25 and 10 in December. The field goal percentage isn't great. Brunson, more touches equals more shots, more points, more assists. He's been worth it for the Knicks. He's been terrific. Uh, he's 50% from three in December. Grimes has been great for them as well. He's making a ton of threes here in December as well. Uh, I am a little worried about R.J. Barrett only because I started to really get excited about him last season where I felt like it wasn't a numbers thing. It was just an eye test deal with R.J. where it was like, oh, I, th I think he's figuring some things out. I think he's taking another step. I thought he took another step like his mentality. And I guess maybe I was hoping to see another step stacked on top of that. I know some of the numbers still would tell you, look, I'm not telling you he sucks. I guess I just wanted to see it increase and head in a different direction. And with Brunson, you know, that's where you start to, if you're a front office, you're going, okay, if we bring in somebody else who's going to be running the offense, how does that impact the development of the other guy that we spent a really high pick on? And these are those constant battles that you have where you're like, how, how do we really want to balance this all out? But for the Knicks and the rest of the roster, you're kind of thinking like, look, can we, let's just get better. Uh, let's just get better here. But when you start thinking about RJ long-term, you know, look, it's only what, 31 games, I think, this season. Uh, I'm not going to freak out about it, but there's some overall numbers here. Look, he's 42% from the floor, 30%, just under 30, on five and a half three-point attempts per game. He's gone from 40% to 34% to 30% his last three years from three. He's a career 41.8% shooter, just overall from the floor. Uh, I'm holding off on actually being worried about it, but there's some trending stuff there where you're like, okay, maybe he's just going to be like a decent role player. And I think there were moments last year I was like, oh, I think this guy's starting to figure it out. Golden State on the other side, they are now a half a game behind the 10 spot for the last play-in slot in the West. Uh, the West is 12 teams for 10. I know Oklahoma City is only two games behind number 10 Dallas. OKC was 7-8 and eight at one point. They're 13-18 and 18 now. I just have a hard time believing they're actually going to play you know, even though they've won more games than we would expect because SGA has been so good and there's so many guys on that Thunder team that I really like. I don't know that I'm going to include them the way they include Orlando uh, for the play-in race in the East. Golden State's not going to have Curry now for a month, right, with his shoulder injury, which when you saw the play when he goes to reach and then immediately grabs his shoulder and you're like, wait, what just happened? You're like, oh, that's probably going to be bad. They're 2-6 and six in their last eight, so they were losing games before Curry was out. And I wonder if, as bad as it looked last night, as bad as it's going to look at times, if there's some silver lining in this, again, for Golden State, which is always the annoying part of the Golden State thing, because it feels like, wait, something bad happened, and then it all kind of worked out. At least that's what we thought with some of the trades, the Wiseman pick getting Kamingo when they had a bad record, and they come back and win an NBA title. Uh, I'm just wondering if more minutes for Kamingo and minutes what we saw from Wiseman last night 
if there's a chance that there'll be this month-long lull period where they finally figure out what they have with these lottery picks and if those lottery picks respond. That's a big ask because collectively it's been pretty disappointing, right? A Kaminga, I still probably have more hope for than Wiseman, and I'm going to get to this here. But the numbers are worse across the board from where they're at this year to what they were last year. Um, his real plus minus, w- which is hard to have a negative with Golden State, uh, he was a negative last year at minus one and a half. Now it's like th- over three. That's pretty bad. So when I watch Kaminga, I wonder, you know, if he were at Houston and Jalen Green weren't there, Jalen Green's better than Kaminga, okay? So let's get that out of the way. But if you said to Kaminga, okay, you're going to initiate the offense, and granted, like, he's not as quick, twitchy as as Green is. He's a sick athlete, but, you know, he's not Jalen Green. But if you allowed him to do that in that role, like, would, be, would Kaminga be putting up numbers despite not being any better of a player? And then people would talk about him as like, wow, you know, keep your eye on a, a Kaminga type. Um, I think body type-wise, you compare him to Anthony Edwards. Again, he's not even close to Anthony Edwards. But... You know, the weird thing about this Golden State system is that it's it's holding you accountable. You're thinking about, like, I'm learning the right way. But I think the negative side of it is, like, the, the leash is so much shorter. And this is part of the Wiseman problem as well. Because Wiseman, I have no doubt, like, if he were on Charlotte, if he were on, I don't know, I mean, pick any, I mean, even Oklahoma City. You know, any of the any of the teams that are just like, okay, we're we're sifting through what we have here. We're gonna lose games. It's not a big deal. Go out there and make a ton of mistakes. I think Wiseman would be like 15 and nine a game. Easy. I really do. But with Golden State and the defensive rotations and the constant problems, and like Kerr was just like, I can't keep playing this guy. They sent him down to the G League. It sucks he missed an entire season. It sucks that he played three games in college. When you watch him in college, it was this battle between an absolute like rare dynamic body that can move and do the things that he was doing like a really special prospect physically uh, versus a guy that you could tell as soon as he had to think about what it was that he was doing then it was screwed up you could just see it you could see the difference between him being like okay I've caught it now I could do this or whatever and then it was like all right it's too late when he's just playing he's better when he's thinking it becomes a problem and he also Wiseman has incredibly bad luck he just has all these bad luck plays like he goes up he's about to get the dunk loses the basketball, uh, gets stripped. He went up and goaltended last night when it didn't make any sense. He had another play where there was a jump ball where he was the deep man and he got beat, which, look, he's going to get beat by a guard the entire time, but that led to a breakout because um, Jericho Sims was going to win the tip. Like, it was it was against another guard for Golden State. Was it Rollins, maybe? So the point is, like, the Wiseman thing is really frustrating. I feel bad for him. And when I talked about him before the draft, I'm like, he could at the ceiling be this, but man, at the floor, like you could be wondering in three years if this guy's going to get a short contract to be the third center as some rim runner. Like all of it was in play. And this might be the kind of make or break moment for this Warriors duo. I'm not even really including Moody in here, even though I think he's been kind of whatever as well. Um where I don't know if that means that there's a trade where Golden State may say, hey, we really don't think we have what we thought we had. So we're, we're better off on moving this bond now before, before we wait this out another year. And everybody knows what the true price of these guys, what their real value is. All right. 
Denver beats Memphis last night at home. Denver was sitting Murray because of rest. No Michael Porter Jr. Because of a heel, he's missed 12 games. Uh, there was a report that he's going to be back soon. Then last night they said that maybe it's going to be Christmas. Who knows with him? Uh, Bain's still been out the big toe sprain. Two weeks ago, it was supposed to be back in three to four weeks. So we don't know. The top four in the West before the games last night because Phoenix lost. Wizards losing streak over. Uh, Phoenix down 17, comes back, goes up. Then they blow that lead. Beal was terrific in the fourth quarter. Uh, we were critical of Beal at some times, but look, he got it going and, and dominated. And Paul, after a really nice Lakers game against a bad Lakers team, sitting a bunch of guys, um, you know, he kind of like, I know, I know. I'm aware is what I'm saying. I'm aware we'll be discussing it um, maybe in another couple of weeks. But the West going into last night, the top four, one and a half games uh, between Denver, uh, Memphis, New Orleans, Phoenix. Um, today, you wake up, Denver and Memphis both 19 and 11. So without the Golden State part of this, with Phoenix having a rough go of it recently, which is what's going to happen at every team. I don't care how good you are. It feels like as deep as the West is, the top has been brought back down to the middle. At least that's how it feels 30 games in. So we may have to start preparing ourselves for, like Memphis seems a no-brainer to be a one seed. All right? I can accept that. New Orleans, because it hasn't happened before and there's still been no Ingram, maybe with no Ingram, it's like, man, they definitely. So I'm okay with that one. Denver, the defense, you've heard me talk about it. I'm always going to be a little concerned about that. So maybe Denver would feel a little bit more surprising, but I don't think it's I don't think it's completely unrealistic because Jokic is is who he is and he's insane. So Memphis defensively was bad last night. I'm not really that worried about the Memphis loss. Um, the primary defender on Jokic was Adams. Uh, Jaron Jackson foul trouble again. Let me know if you've heard that one before. He played 15 total minutes with 840 left. So at the 840 mark, he'd only played 15 minutes of the game. And again, it was going to be Adams on Jokic. And Adams, uh, he had an easy Jokic night because he didn't want to shoot last night. Did have another triple-double, 13-13-13. So Denver was dominant for most of the game. Uh, there were some stretches where they had to go to zone. It was kind of funny. Memphis did one thing where they screened the interior, the inside. It shouldn't get too technical here because it you know, makes me sound like an asshole. But... Uh, they were screening the inside of the top two defenders in this zone where you don't really see that that much. And Van Gundy made a good call. He's like, they might have to get out of this at some point. But that didn't really matter because Denver was doing what they wanted to to Memphis, uh, which was was kind of weird. But yeah, they they had Tyus Jones with the basketball at the top and they went in and screened the inside of the two top defenders and Jones just went right through the middle of them, pulled up through free throw line and and missed a jumper but it was kind of funny just to see like people can stop screening against zones i have this rant about switching and switching into a worse option that i think i'm planning i constantly am seeing it all the time the brooklyn toronto game from a few days ago was like a prime example where i'd be like wait why are you switching off of this guy into this defender like why would you want to do that anyway uh that's not what that was necessarily i guess i'm just not that worried about memphis having a bad night I do want to talk a little positive here, though. Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon's been a player over the years where I feel like everybody that doesn't have him liked him more than the Magic who had him. Or fans, probably is the best way to put that. You're like, oh, man, we got this guy. Because he's kind of a nice player. But there's also like some real limitations that never quite worked out. I don't know that this has been... This is the best Aaron Gordon we've ever seen, okay? In nine seasons. It's not close. Uh, I don't like that term, but in this case, it's true. 
He's always been a mid-40s guy from the floor. He's been over 50 every season he's been with Denver. Jokic. Uh, this season, uh, he's 61% from the floor. He's 39% from three. It's the most free throw attempts he's ever taken. So Gordon, in this role with Jokic, it's just like you know certain programs that have have a player in college football where you're like, no, no, they're going to do a good job because it's them. It's the same player, but he'll be better with them. That's what Jokic provides you. As your point, man, is maybe another MVP award for this dude. Uh, he's so much fun to watch. And watching him last night just go like, yeah, I'm going to be actually a little apprehensive. Well, not apprehensive would be negative. He just, he was like, I'm going to kind of play in the flow of the game tonight. Like, I'm not going to look to get mine. He could take so many more shots and they'd be good shots. And then he won't do it unless he feels like, okay, I absolutely need, need to take a shot here in a big spot. And then he makes it anyway. But Gordon has been a huge, huge benefactor in his season this year right now, the best of his career. Okay, like I said, I wanted to end on Milwaukee's win at New Orleans. Uh, Milwaukee, the one seed in the East, so it's kind of crazy how things play out. Boston gets off to this incredible start, and then you're like, oh, wait, there's the two seed. Point differential is kind of funny. Cleveland's actually the number one point differential in the East. Boston's second. Milwaukee is third. So, like I said, this is one of my favorite games this season because it was the Giannis-Zion chess match and how this was all going to play out. Unfortunately, this happens way too much with some of the guys with these massive defensive resumes. Oh, cool. Giannis is going to play on Zion? Nope. Not going to happen. But Drew Holiday is. Uh, on the other side for New Orleans, Herb Jones uh, was, was the main guy against Giannis, I believe. I mean, I don't know the total number of possessions, but that was the first matchup, and that's usually what you're looking at. They were trying to build that wall, build that wall. They were trying, uh, and they just weren't ready for it. I thought New Orleans, like it's one of those things where it's like, I'm going to keep telling you, you have to do this. You have to stay together. You can't give them any space. You know, look, it's still Giannis. He's going to get his points, but you can't make it easy for him. And if you're out of position or you're late to the help, you're going to foul him. And that's exactly what happened. Giannis took 22 free throws in that game, and he made 17. So that was kind of the game, at least offensively, for Milwaukee. No Middleton, by the way, in this one. We know Ingram's still out for New Orleans. Now, on the other side, Zion was initiating a lot of the offense on his own, or at least bringing it up. You know, getting the ball out in the perimeter, facing the basket. Okay, go Zion, go create, because you can dribble past everybody. And he's, I believe, the fourth most efficient offensive player in the NBA this season. I think Jokic is one. Markkinen, I think, is two. Um, I can look that up again. I'll likely forget and not do it in this podcast. So that was the problem for New Orleans. They just, you know, they thought they knew what they wanted to do, and they did a bad job with it. So Drew defend Zion, but it wasn't just that. It was either Brooke Lopez or sometimes even a third guy facing Zion. I posted a pick because uh, Valanciunas, I believe, had 26 in the first half because Brooke was just always going to help towards Zion. Giannis did it a few times as well. So Valanciunas is going crazy, lighting it up. And Antonio Daniels does the games for the Pelicans, who was terrific. He was just teaching the entire game. And He's like, look, I played for Coach Bud in San Antonio, and he's not going to change. And Bucks fans could back that up. Like, look, he's not going to change what he does. This is what he's going to The rule is they want that help to Zion when he has the ball, leave the other guy open. And Valanciunas isn't missing. And at one point, Daniels points out that Brooke looks back to the Bucks bench and is like, what do you guys want me to do? Do you want me to keep doing this? And Bud's like, yeah. And AD's like, they're going to keep doing it. 
they're going to keep doing it the whole time. So I posted this pic at one point where Zion was on the left side. If you're going left to right on your TV watching basketball, he's on the left side, you know, not below the elbow, but, you know, towards the Milwaukee bench. And Drew is on him. Lopez, is by, Lopez, I believe, is covering up Drew, so you can't even see Drew. And then Giannis is helping, and Valanciunas is wide open. There's three guys on Zion. And I posted it. And you, you can't see Drew if you have to really, really look for him. Like, is that an extra leg in there? And so I actually thought this was a positive for Zion because then they started posting him. And it was too late. But Zion was like, all right, I'm not screwing around. As soon as I get the ball, I'm not letting you dictate how you're going to play me and then play off of that. I'm going to make you adjust to me now. And they probably shouldn't got, should have got the ball out of his hands a little bit earlier. It's a credit to Drew Holiday to take on that kind of assignment to try to just slow Zion down on the drives, and he can. But there was always help. It was a fantastically prepped game for an NBA team where there's probably too many times they just roll the ball out. I thought the prep specific to the Zion matchup was one of the more impressive things I've seen from an NBA team this season. Give credit to Zion for kind of figuring it out. Maybe a little late. Maybe everybody was a little late for that one. But I, I saw some people being like, oh, this is this new thing. Oh, uh, no, I, I think Zion was like, his passing is so good that you kind of take it for granted that he can be doubled and you can sell out against him like this and he'll still make the right play. But I thought what he did later was like, oh, okay, you know, he'll know what to do. The reason I bring it up, because not only did I like it so much, could it be a finals preview? Believe it or not, that's not a crazy thing to say about these two teams. Santa Barkley is coming to town, and he's delivering $20 million in gifts this holiday season to all FanDuel customers. It doesn't matter if you've been naughty or nice. St. Chuck has something for everyone. Just check out your FanDuel app for no-sweat same-game parlays, bonuses, and all sorts of stuff that'll fill you with holiday cheer. Okay, favorite bets for tonight. Last week, winner gave you the over. That game went to 270. 270. I think it went over that. Okay. Let's see here. Is there a total I like? Somebody that's really going to let it fly. Uh, let's go under 240.5 Lakers at Sacramento Kings. There you go. That's the pick. New to FanDuel? Now is the perfect time to sign up and remember to use the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. The app is easy to use. They're always hooking you up with great promotions. And when you win, you'll get paid instantly. So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook and get in the holiday spirit with $20 million in gifts from Santa Barkley. Must be 21 and older. Present in select states only. Prize total dependent on customer participation. Wager requirements apply. Gifts awarded is non-withdrawable site credit or free bets. See. FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Uh, he's a regular guest. He has a podcast of his own, Move the Sticks. Daniel Jeremiah. We're going to talk some draft. We're going to talk uh, a little NFL as well. What's up, man? Thanks for doing this. No, it's good to see you, bud. How you doing? Good. Okay. Do you know today who you think, not who the team will take, but who will be number one on your board? Not, I, I would say not yet. Still TBD. Uh, I I love, I love, you know, Bryce Young as a player. Like if we're just talking quarterbacks. And if you're thinking, okay, the quarterbacks trump everything else, I think as we're as we're sitting right now, he's my top quarterback. 
but I would still have, you know, Will Anderson would be my number one overall player. I mean, in terms of just position players, it'll be Will Anderson. Okay, I'm going to share a theory with you. I think, yep. um, and listeners have already heard this, but I, you and I haven't talked about it. I love Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. I too love Bryce Young. I yep. love everything about him, except his size. Yeah, And I think he's, his measurements are going to be really interesting at the combine. Uh, I'd heard, you know, he's actually even smaller, you know, than he's, yeah. than he's listed, than what he's played at Bama. And I wonder if the league, because of, you know, the breeze into Russell Wilson, into like Kyler and people going like, oh, you know, you can actually, you don't have to be this anymore. You don't have to be this anymore. Well, Russ is a baseball player, so yeah. he's thick. Kyler, because he was a baseball player, I think some assumptions were made there. Okay, be fine. He gets hurt again. My issue with him is that he, when he gets hurt, it's always like it lingers. Yeah. Like he's, when he's hurt, he's out. Yeah. And Bryce is even smaller than those guys. I wonder if we are pushing the limits. If Bryce Young goes one, as much as I love him, if we are pushing through the limits of, of the, like all the stuff we believed in, all the rules that we had to believe in, yeah. are we taking like too much liberty with the idea that a small quarterback can still survive even with the rule changes? Well, and that's why I would, I would, you know, I would allow myself uh, some grace in terms of being able to stand next to him, see him, get get the official measurements because I still have not seen him in person. And it's one thing I've had scouts that have gone through there that have like, dude, hey, cautionary, just just giving you a little cautionary tale here. You, you need to wait until you see him before you like shove all your chips into the middle of the table. Like he is tiny and he's narrow and he's lean. Um, and, you know, I always talk about Russell, Russell Wilson having kind of a wrestler's build. Like he was short, but he was so thick and so wide hipped and just kind of a like a, a big bone guy. Whereas it sounds like with Bryce, he's a narrow, thin framed, uh, you know, kind of a wiry, wiry dude. But I also he's he's got a little bit of the um, of the Lamar thing, just in terms of he doesn't take big shots like you would watch Lamar, even when Lamar was running, like he was so kind of slippery and just kind of never took those big hits. He knows how to give and fall back when he's getting hit. I think he does have some of that. He's been little his whole life, so he's probably learned how to do that. Um, but just like it's going to be, I don't think it's for everybody. I look at Houston though, Ryan, first pick, you've got Laramie Tunso at left tackle. You play all, you play all your home games in the dome. Your road, your inside the division games are mostly good weather indoors. So you've already start the season with, you know, 11, 12 games, which are going to be in really, really friendly environments where, you know, size physicality is not going to be a huge concern. And you've got a franchise left tackle and you've got a big time running back. I think they have some of the pieces there that could help, you know, with a little, with a smaller quarterback. If you're Detroit and you've got this Rams pick that could be in play for the next quarterback off the board if Bryce goes one to say Houston, how does golf impact your decision? Uh, I I would, unless you're just in love with one of these guys and I'm not. I mean, even Bryce included in that, I would say for the reasons we just stated, there's legit concerns. I'd feel comfortable enough that I can win games with golf for the next few years that I'd auction that thing up in two seconds and see if I could get somebody to fall in love with Will Levis or whoever else they want to come up and get. So you've seen enough from golf. Like golf has done. He's a winning. I think he, I think you can win with him. And I think they're build that team to support him. Their offensive line is one of the best offensive lines in the league right now. Um, I, I think they need to devote their resources to the defensive side of the ball. And I think they can play it. They can play a game that, that that golf's good at so I, I think he's good enough for them to win games here for the next three four years and allow themselves some time to find that next guy 
Yeah, I would say earlier in the season, even with the offensive numbers, you know, because as a team offense, you're like, look, they're actually, this team scores points. Yeah. So what are you asking? And then you're thinking like, okay, well, they'll probably grab somebody, maybe sit, and then it's like, yeah, I don't know. So I kind of agree with you now at that point. Okay, so it sounds like you don't like this quarterback class because Anthony Richardson, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to remind myself to do this. I'm going to do this next year. When I look at like the top 25s that guys have, I'm going to do a segment on this podcast where I go, okay, I'm taking the over, I'm taking the under on some of the guys. Because when Richardson was first targeted as like the 10th pick, I go, that's insane. There's no way. (laughs) And then I watched the Utah game and I went, okay. Once he spun around, your opinion spun around along with it. Right. Yeah, that that, I love that. That was a two-point conversion, right? I loved it. And then... You know, the Kentucky game and talking to some people was like, yeah, they they changed up how they defended him. The guy hasn't been able to figure it out since. But he's still there. He's still there in the mocks. He's hanging around that top 10 area. How is that possible? Just because the the again, the comments I got on Bryce from scouts that went to saw him was the exact opposite of the scouts who went in and saw Richardson. They're like, hey, look, I know the flaws. I, I know he's inconsistent. I know he's wrong. DJ, when you see this dude and you see how big he is, how he moves and how strong his arm is, there's going to be teams that are going to be, there's going to be, he's going to be like a quarterback coach guy where I can, I can ex- extract all this talent out of him and we'll be able to, uh, to hit a home run with this guy. Somebody's going to talk themselves into it because it sounds like from seeing him up close and personal that it is pretty rare with the, with the physical traits that he has. But okay, the tape's maybe I, raw. The tape is so raw. Raw? Man. Yeah. It is <laughs> yeah, raw. Okay, but I think Levis is, is in the same kind of conversation that physically, oh, okay, look at all these different things. I know the O-line of Kentucky. And yeah. I mean, he got his ass kicked. But if I'm a fan, well, I don't know how many NFL fans really watch these guys. I always think it's kind of yeah. funny with the mock draft when like some fan base freaks out because they didn't take the Mississippi D tackle. And you're like, you learned about him two weeks ago. Yeah. So I'm... I, maybe I should ask it this. Let me start with this. It doesn't sound like you like Levis or Richardson. I they uh, they would be very concerning to me. I think they're total total hero or zero picks. So there's a place for those guys when you're ranking them. It, that's why it's I always you know say for me to do this without being affiliated with a team is infinitely harder than when you're with a team. When I know okay, I know that our coaching staff has a tradition of being able to develop this type of player at this type of position. I know what this guy's skill set marries what we do schematically. Um, now it's like, okay, I'm going to rank him and hope to God that he goes to a place that can actually figure out how to use him and how to develop him and how to make him a player. Um, I think those guys are, you know, true, true wild cards. So, you know, I, I think they're both set up to be climbers once we get to the spring because I think kind of the further we get away from what we saw on the field and the closer we get to seeing these guys work out, you're going to be like, whoa, okay, this is uh, this is something you can dream on. Okay, can you put us in the room then, like what that's like, where your front office is talking themselves into somebody more because of the physical gifts and the workouts and not the game tape? Like how, yeah. does, how do those conversations happen? Is there an example? Well, I, I mean, there's an example from last year. I mean, there was the example right at the top of the draft that Jacksonville had. And I've been in, you know, in those same conversations with different players, but it's Aiden Hutchinson who has all this production, who, by the way, was still a good athlete, not a, you know, not like a rare elite athlete, but a really good athlete coming off a year with tons of production. But you think, okay, maybe he's kind of hitting his head on his ceiling versus Trayvon Walker, who is is like literally exactly how you would build an edge defender in terms of uh, size, length, explosiveness, 
you know, change of direction, all that stuff, but just doesn't have hardly any production. They've moved him around in that defense. He didn't play full time because they were rolling so many guys through. So you're arguing about what a guy is versus what a guy can become. And that's every single year. Like there's there's those debates in the room. Uh, you know, it, it's there's certain positions where I think it's easier to make the case for the traits guy. The quarterback position is a little bit harder. To, it's a little bit harder to sell that um, just because you're tying your job up into the hope of this thing working out with a guy like that. Did you have one, though, from your past where there was a physical traits guy where it was like a massive argument? Uh, well, it wasn't a massive argument. It's kind of funny now when you look back on these two careers, but we had, when I was in Baltimore, this is like, this is one of those decisions that seems kind of so silly at the, at, at the time, because you're talking about, I think we were in the sixth round. So here were our, here were our choices. We were trying to find a backup quarterback. So our choice was Derek Anderson from Oregon state. Okay. Ryan Fitzpatrick from Harvard. So I made the case for Derek Anderson and I said, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick is what he is. He, you know, he's going to be somebody that's going to help your starter. I don't think he's ever going to be your starter. Whereas Derek Anderson, six foot six, the highs are higher, the lows are lower. But at least I think you can dream on him potentially becoming a starter because he's got he's got the the traits. So we had that kind of back and forth. We end up taking Derek Anderson. Of course, the, the we end up trying to sneak him down to the practice squad. The Browns claim him. I ended up going to the to Cleveland. Um, he ends up going to a Pro Bowl, and early on in that process, you're like, that dude. We, we nailed it. You know, this Fitzpatrick guy's not going to be in the leagues. It's going to be a clipboard holder for a little while. Then he'll kind of wash out. And then, then Fitzpatrick goes on and plays for 100 years. And, and Derek uh, didn't start, start many more games after that. But that was a classic kind of ceiling floor debate. And I think in the long run, while you had the little spurt with the ceiling there with Derek Anderson, Ryan Fitzfat, Fitzpatrick's floor was, was probably the right decision. I would have agreed with you. I kind of liked Eric Anderson back then. I went and saw him in the bowl game against Notre Dame in Arizona. And I think was was might have been Brady Quinn was maybe on that uh, Notre Dame team, but but he tore him up, and I remember seeing that going okay. Um, and he was a great basketball player. And he had like size sixteen shoes. But that's about, about all I can remember about that evaluation. You love the hoops, guys. But once you started playing <laughs> Kyle Bowler two on two, you knew it was like oh, we made a mistake. You've shared that story with us in the past. Uh, do you ever have a pick in the room where it's maybe not as crisp as we would think from the outside, where the pick is coming up and Maybe it'd be Ozzy back then to be in charge. It's just like the debate's gone on and on. It's like, all right, F it. This should take this guy. Where yeah, not as much with the Ravens. I would say uh, maybe more so in Philly. Like it was kind of, you'd get to that, kind of that point in the draft. And I can't recall a player individually, but I remember just kind of, I remember in Philly, we would keep our scouts. We weren't in the draft room. We were in like a side room. So in the in the main draft room, you'd have general manager, head coach, owner, um, you know, a few executives, not a lot of people in there, maybe the coordinators. And so you'd be sitting in that room and they would like the fifth, sixth round. I remember Ronald Johnson. You remember the USC uh, wide receiver, Ronald Johnson? Yeah. They go, uh, uh, DJ, they want you in there. So I'm like, all right. So this is good. the draft walk in there and they go, can do you trust him? I think Jeffrey Lurie might even ask me. You trust him with all of our, with all, <laughs> with like your job on the line, with all of our, with all of our success. And do you trust him to catch a punt for us? Do you, do you trust him to catch a punt? And I remember thinking like, I'm not putting my job on the line to take Ronald Johnson in the sixth round to catch a punt. Like, how do I answer that question? Uh, no, I mean, I, what? Like, uh, but that, but that was like that, that type of stuff happens. Those are the kind of like the classic stories, but I'm like, yeah, there's certain things I'm willing to die in a hill for Ronald Johnson catching a punt is not, I'm not putting my, uh, my family's, uh, you know, welfare in his hands at this point in time. So that was it. You didn't take him. 
I think we took him. I think we took oh. him after all that. I think we still took him, but it was it was without forgot, my yeah. without my stamp of uh, of approval. I was like, yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not dying on that hill. <laughs> Imagine if you had given this like Jerry yes. Maguire's speech. Absolutely. Be like, here's something. <laughs> I'd like all of you to sit down first. You know, super emotional. Like in the end, you're just this massive crescendo of faith. Yeah, uh, yeah that's a weird one. Okay. Um, what else? It's just if if I'm shopping for something, like what is this draft specialty? Oh, tight ends, man! It's the best tight end draft I've seen in a long time, and like you just watch one after another after another. Um, and I, in talking to guys around the league, they're like, "Oh, you know, I think we're going to see a big kind of day two, second, third round." And I'm like, "Look, I'm just kind of getting into this thing, but you're going to have to you're going to have to prove to me that there's 32 players better than some of these tight ends that uh, that we don't see, you know." Two, two, maybe even three of these guys sneak into the first round. Like I, I did Dalton Kincaid the other day from Utah. He is, yeah. he's a stud. He's a stud. Like, and you, I, you know, the comparison thing, people freak out about it, but I'm like, that he looks just like Zach Ertz did coming out, with maybe just a little more gas, like just a little more juice, just so fluid and smooth and everything that he does. Uh, tough. I mean, the USC game, I watch, I'll go through and watch all their targets. And I think he had like 14, 15 catches in the USC game, just tore them apart. Think about uh, it in a foot. He took over that game like a basketball player does. Yeah. Just give him the ball. Yeah. He's uh, awesome. The kid at Oregon, him, yeah. the kid at Oregon Musgrave who got hurt and only played a couple games. He's going to be six, five plus two fifty plus. He's going to probably run in the four fours, like mid to high four, four. He's a freak. Everybody knows about mayor. You've got the, you know, you've got Goliath at, uh, at Georgia. I got to tell you, I saw Washington projected. That's a Georgia tight end. Yeah. In the first round. That to me seems a little high. He's a top fifty pick to me. Yeah. I think he goes in that forties in the, in like that type of a range. But like if you think you have a this, guy. this massive advantage, you know, red zone, I get it. Yeah. But I think Georgia fans would even tell you that I think people freak out about his size and week to week, you'd go, All right, you know, he's a nice player. But I've seen yeah. him in the first round ahead of like a couple of the other names that you're touching on here. And I'm going, that's that's somebody just looking at the roster. No, like, there's a really there's a really good one. Uh what is his name? The dude from uh South Dakota State, Tucker Kraft is a good player. Um so and I haven't even got I got I haven't got to the Clemson kid. I know uh, Michigan has one. There's a ton of them. But you know, can't to me like uh Utah, Oregon State, Notre Dame, those guys those guys all have like first round ability. Um, so it, it's going to be a great year for tight ends. I got some of these names now for the tight ends. It sounds like everybody's like a Yellowstone character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, Tucker, Tucker craft, Luke Musgrave. Uh, yeah, but Dalton I'm just thinking Kincaid. Those yeah, but names. you got Dalton Knox. Um, uh, Dallas Goddard. Oh, existing current tight ends you're going yeah, with. Yeah, like no. all, like lately the tight I don't know what's going on with the tight end names. Hunter, but, uh, Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry is a good uh it's a good Yellowstone name too. That is a good one. All right, moving on. Next topic. Give me a player. I know you still have a ton of work to do, months of work on this. Where like when I start looking at it and I think back to all the stuff that I watched this this season, a guy who's projected to go middle of first, doesn't matter position. Let's go non quarterback though, who you're like I know where he's going to go. I know where I'm going to grade him. But in a couple of years, I just, I like him so much now, but it's like he's not allowed to be a top 10 pick. 
Well, I think the curious name, and again, I unless he's decided he's going back to school, I know the debate was out there, but Van Ness from from Iowa, I don't know if he's made if he's made a declaration one way or the other. Um, I, I was assume he was coming out defensive lineman who's he's six five, he's two hundred seventy pounds. He does not start, which is one of those things where you're just like, how is this possible? Um, Iowa defensive lineman, they move him up and down the line of scrimmage. He'll play on the edge. He'll play in the three. He'll play over the center, like in a tilted nose. But um, he's violent. He's explosive. You watch him in the Ohio State game. They've got two NFL tackles, and he kind of just runs them over. Um, but, you know, everybody's kind of – there's always like that ceiling of like, how high do I push this guy up? He's, he's playing 40%, 50% of the snaps at Iowa. Um, but you kind of look at the traits and the, and the the flashes that you see, and it's like, okay, I could, I could see this guy end up being a really good player. It's a similar thing if you go way in the way back machine of you know, Clay Matthews was like a one-year starter uh, coming out of USC, and it was like you had all those other guys in that group. You had all those other linebackers, and you're like, well, I can't elevate him over these other guys. The other guys are three-year starters and a little bit more accomplished, but the skill set of Clay Matthews was better than Maluga, was better than Cushing, you know, all, all those guys. So it's an interesting debate. Is he a wrestler too? I, you know, I don't have the background on him yet. I could see that he's a he's a violent, violent dude. Yeah, uh, I, I'm just looking him up here a little bit. He's got a T-shirt and one of these high school recruiting things. T-shirt just says, "I hate QBs." <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like a kid too and now yeah. uh yeah I, iowa man i i give the team a lot of shit over the course they are depending on what you look at between active and then where you're at in the season they're yeah. ninth or tenth programs as far as active nfl players i wow. think that would surprise a lot of people you know at the top it's bama it's Ohio State or Georgia or LSU for the second slot, depending on which week it is, you know, because yeah. you can get real technical about it. Iowa is a top 10 NFL feeder. Yeah, they've I done know. it in the trenches, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. And Tied, I defensive backs. They have defensive yeah. backs that have gone I was in. say a yeah. bunch of safeties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Mine's Joey Porter Jr., Penn State. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. He's fun. Long, competitive, tough. Yeah, big corners like that that are badasses on top of everything else. Like, yeah. I know, I don't know if he's penalty prone or what, but I, I, I am back on corners. Like, if you can get me a couple corners in today's game and then somebody who can maybe survive against some of the bigger matchup guys that you have in the slot. Uh, if you told me like the perfect recipe to me, and I think you're seeing it like with San Francisco, with Philadelphia. Is is and the, even the Jets defensively, two great corners and freaking waves of defensive linemen, just tons of them. Um, that's the way to go. Yeah, when I watch Jets games now, I'll be like, oh, they've got him. Like, oh, that's yeah. right, they have that guy. That Jets defense is is incredible, and some of the stuff Sauce Gardner's doing. As- Dude, they don't even mess with him. Like, it's I. I'll find myself before the Charger games start. I'll always have a game like on my computer while waiting for the game to start and call those games. And the and I'll, I, I like watching the Jets. I've got a good relationship with Joe Douglas, so I'll watch a lot of their games. I'm like, gosh, I want to see Sauce Gardner get a chance to make a play on the ball, but they just he gets no action. Like they don't even look over there as a rookie. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's one of the weird deals where, <laughs> look, he he went fourth, and you'll be like, did he go too low? He was my highest. So that's a great call because he, you know, you go through and you put a grade on a player, but then you sequence them and and rank them, you know, in order. It's a great example because he was my highest graded player in that draft. I had the highest grade on him over anybody else in the draft. 
But, you know, in terms of courage, I think he ended up being my my third player overall when you stack them, you know, when you actually put them all together. But I did not give a higher grade than the one I gave him. Okay. All right. That was good. Do you have programs then where you go, when I want an O-lineman, I want him coming from this college. When it's a receiver, I want him coming from this college. Do you have preferable programs based on position when you do this? I think it helps. I mean, I don't think you want to be beholden to it, but I always think like offensive linemen, I would lump the Big Ten together as a conference. You know, we all, I always feel like, and we've talked about this in other teams I've worked with, but when you start 30, 40 games on the offensive line in the Big Ten, there's a pretty good chance you have a good combination of toughness and, uh, and intelligence. Like you've got to in order to play in, in that conference against the teams you're going to play, the style they play. Um, those are, you know, Big Ten offensive linemen that started a bunch of games. I'm in on those. Now, receivers, you know, what Brian Hartline's done, these are ready-made dudes coming out of Ohio State. I mean, not only talented, but they're polished and they're ready to have an immediate impact. So I think sometimes it can be position coaches um, from that standpoint. And stay, stay at Ohio State with, uh, you know, I think Larry Johnson has those guys pretty well developed. Saban's always, you know, Saban's always had a reputation and some people took it one of two ways. Oh, the DBs coming out of there are completely tapped. Like they're not going to get any better. They've had the best coaching you could possibly get. They are who they are. And other people look at that and say, this is great. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> this guy's uh, this guy's just ready to go. So it, you look at the same situation. Some people look at it as a positive. Some people look at it as a negative. Yeah, I love the Saban ones because I heard a line one time. It was like, guarantees you a championship and a major surgery. <laughs> 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 Which I think was a little unfair. Uh, there was also there was also this weird stretch where like Bama had, had like a bad run of first rounders. Yeah, And then it was trying to be turned into something bigger picture, which is totally inaccurate and not yeah. fair. And it was like, it's one of my favorite things about what we do is like, okay, something's happening. Could it just be happening or is it yeah. actually something? And when mm -hmm. Bama had like a bad run of first rounders, um, Milner, you know, the defensive back, actually speaking of Jets defensive backs and Marcel Darius, just he wasn't even close yeah. to what I thought he was going to be coming out of Bama. He still was okay. Who, who was the linebacker that went to uh, Tennessee? Uh, Alabama it was a gosh, what's his name? Fifty four, War fifty four. It's a first round you guys, pick. You guys in the numbers. Um, uh, no, I feel like. Name? It, uh, I'm now gonna, gonna look, look it up. up. You got to look it up. Titans, Bama. He didn't get a second contract. All right, we got it on this one. Uh, Rashad Evans, 2018. Yeah, right. no, I another one who we thought we, you know we think about guys coming out. They thought he was going to be big time, big time dude, and I don't think he got a second contract there. No, if I started, I mean, I guess I could just go down this. Do I want to do this? Just do a little. Do you ever mess around on drafthistory.com, by the way? I'm on it right now. I'm yeah, constantly it's great, on it's it. A, it's yeah. a great site. So if I go, all right. Oh, you know what? This was this was my scouting. I was proud of myself on this one. It's funny. I'm trying to get down to the next page, and I'm still at 2019. <laughs> <laughs> this, is that a few dudes? This program, this is so stupid. Looking at the like we both know, but to see it, oh, it's dumb. Like as I'm scrolling through it, this is so dumb. I remember I thought Fluker was overrated. Yeah, I was not a big Fluker guy. I'll he was just so that. big that I know yeah, like everybody's gonna fall. Couldn't move. I saw yeah. him in person a couple times and I went, eh, he's not really what everybody thought he was. Um, and he still played, you know, he still played a while, but that's not what you're thinking of when you're taking him where you're taking him. Um, 
some of these years, look at the number of just the sheer number of guys. You know who you know who I, I would have bet had a much better career was OJ Howard. I liked OJ Howard coming out. I was okay. Yeah. I don't know. Marlon was the highest rated. Uh, he went first to Baltimore. That was mm-hmm. the first Bama player taken that year, Marlon Humphrey. I don't know if this is interesting to anybody. At oh, this I point. find it fascinating. Uh, Reggie Ragland. Now we're going in the, now we're getting into it. Yeah. Maybe we can stop now. Oh, you know, who, oh, here's the other one. This is the same Fluker year. That Chance Warmack didn't ruin the people's stomach. lives for 10 years. But, you know, the other thing that we always forget is that some guys don't want to do this yeah. as long. It's like sometimes guys come in. Like, I was convinced Chance Warmack was going to be that guy at guard. He was probably he was one of dominant. my favorite players. Yeah, he was. The, he, the, the exposed belly, he had a whole thing going on. He came in for Path of the Draft and came into the studio, and he was, like, the most lovable dude. Like, just couldn't have been uh, couldn't have been a better guy. He was one of those guys, like, you're kind of rooting for him and then just kind of fizzled. But I think the moral to all of this was is when it was Bama, like my whole point was I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here for a little while. I don't, I don't know <laughs> that I'm going to start labeling every Bama player that comes out in the first round as a potential bust as if they're doing something wrong. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, here, the other one more program though before yeah. we move on. Utah. You're I can't a big Utes guy I can't, lately. I can't, I can't have enough Utah guys. That's like King, maybe that's why I'm in on Kincaid. I, I just, okay, I what love, is it? Uh, I just think the head coach is so stinking tough and is such just a stud. I think it just it just like rubs off on all these dudes. They're physical, um, they're competitive, like all that stuff. Then there's like a little chip. There's like a little bit of a chip. Oh, there no, no, there's, there's not a. There's yeah. some like real edge to those dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a little chip. So I'm I'm backing you up here. I completely agree. I remember this group last year, beginning of the year. I was at home all day watching ball and I went, let me just get out of the house. I went and like yeah. a place across the street, grabbed a drink and was just sitting there going, I think I fell in love with Utah tonight. Uh, <laughs> it was like rising, just coming onto the scene last year. Yeah. And that whole group. And then that little white receiver was like 32. Um, anyway. Okay. Um, last thing here, let's talk about the 21 QB class. Yep. We'll do uh, whatever you want to do on this. So it's Zach, it's Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Max Jones. For the purpose of this, I don't really know that there's a ton to say about Trey Lance. We just all feel bad for him and hope this doesn't just derail everything. Yeah. Um, any hope for Zach Wilson? I do. Um, I don't know that it's a great fit there with what they're asking him to do and what he's struggling to do. And that, what does and that, that mean? Could be, you know, you can go into the draft process. Well, you can think that a guy is going to be a great rhythm timing thrower, which is what that offense, you know, that Shanahan scheme is a rhythm timing offense and, you know, accuracy is of the utmost importance. And he's shown that he's not functioning great in that environment. He's he's a big play guy. He's a play action shot guy uh, who can extend plays. I think that that works, you know, in certain environments and certain schemes and, and what you have. He's going to need a run game. I think that doesn't get talked about. I think it, I think everybody just kind of you can show the swing pass that he underthrows. I like this guy's never going to be any good. He can't make the most base, basic pass in the world. But I mean, you can look at four or five other just huge chunk plays that he's able to generate and create that not many guys can do. So I, I think he does have those strengths. But Ryan, they, they they haven't had over sixty yards rushing in their last two games that he's played. So you're and they can continue to run the ball on first down. So you're taking a young guy who's not super accurate. You're putting him in second and ten in obvious throwing situations where the windows get smaller and he's struggling. I'm like, I don't know that that should be, uh, you know, rocket science there. And I and you can see the confidence is, 
you know, it, it's weird when you feel like your fan base is almost rooting against you in some in some instances. And uh, you can see him pulling the string a lot, which is him just he's just freezing up a little bit. But the ability's still there. That's why I'm not I'm not totally punting on him. Okay, Fields. Fields is doing what he has to do right now to generate offense, which is just run all over the place, and it's it's impressive. But I don't think it that's sustainable. Um, but I get that's what they have to do right now. So they need to put some other places, the pieces around him, give him some help. Um, and then maybe they can start backing off a little bit. I know that Jalen Hurts comparison gets made. Um, he's going to need to take, you know, continue to make those types of strides that, that Hurts has made. The difference is I think Hurts had the ability to, to carry a little bit more of that run load the way he's put together and his history of running the ball like that. I don't think Justin's going to be able to physically hold up if they're going to ask him to carry the ball, you know, 17, 18 times like he's been doing. I know you recently did a deep dive on the Move the Six pod on Jalen Hurts. Yeah. What has been the most impressive part of his growth and becoming, you know, a real MVP candidate here now? I think it's just the accuracy, like pretty simple. You know, he's just he's he's anticipated throws and he's thrown with accuracy. And like he's a great example. I could go back and try and find my uh my report on him when he was coming out, but it was like you can look at all the stuff that he, everybody kind of focusing on the things that he, he wasn't doing. And it's like, if you just look at the core things that, that he is and what he does, number one is he's incredibly smart and, and, you know, son of a coach understands ball really, really well. So his, his work ethic was off the charts from everybody that you talked to. So you knew he's going to do that. He had the physical, you know, ability to be able to throw, you know, with velocity, he had the ability to extend plays that, that stuff was there. The stuff that you're dinging him on some ball placement, some holding the ball too long, lack of anticipation. Like he worked, he worked through those things. So it's kind of like if you give me a guy that's incredibly smart and competitive and has tools, like those guys figure it out. That's like the Josh Allen Mahomes thing. Okay, last one, Mac Jones. Mac, um, you know, I I I go back and looked on my notes on him and it was like touch timing, you know, toughness full field reads i still didn't i didn't think he had any twitch to him um i thought things sped up on him i thought Bad he tackler. Was his, yeah <laughs> oh man that was brutal what's he gonna do with that thing if he gets it by the way what's he doing with that thing he's like catching a punt with no blockers with your quarterback it's like that johnny knoxville skit <laughs> <laughs> what was that what did he do he was on uh, Jackass. He returned a punt by himself against an, i think it was tennessee or no he was dressed up it was against usc he was dressed up as a vol okay and he just was returning punts and getting his ass kicked. Uh, yeah, that, I don't know what he's going to The other thing about that play is that was, do you remember like trick plays where uh, it probably was in college where if the end zone was blue and you were wearing blue on blue uniforms where they had the guy go lay down in the blue? Like Chandler Jones is in the middle of that logo and he very much does blend in the kind of the logo there. So well done on his part. Okay, I like that. So it doesn't sound like you're super high on Mac long term. No, I just, I don't know how high the ceiling is there. I just don't think he has any like elite trait he doesn't have an elite arm he's not he doesn't have a lot of twitch to to create and extend um and i'll be honest with you i'm a little bit surprised like that he hasn't been a little bit more you know kind of even keel he's got to be frustrated as all get out with with the patricia judge thing but like you gotta he's gotta kind of ease ease off a little bit Need a little bit more of a resume sort of to lighten everybody I, I th- up. I think at some point in time, the accomplishments have to exceed the the theatrics. You know, yes, that, that's one of my all time athlete rules. Like you can yeah. do it. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, you can say, well, Tom Brady, Tom Brady did it in this uniform for this team for a long time. Yeah, well, yeah, you're right. He's allowed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) When's your first mock up? Uh, I think I have like January 10th, I want to say, somewhere around there. Okay, looking forward to it. I've got a lot to watch, buddy. Well, you know, at least you're not going to be busy the next couple of weeks. So (laughs) come back on again. We always appreciate it again. Move the six. Enjoy Xander Bogarts. All right. Thanks, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. What are you going to do for your next vacation? Beach, island hopping, hiking, a little culture? Choose Royal Caribbean and you can go on all the vacations at once. That's the point. You want to go to Greece? How about they get you there? Everywhere else. I've looked at the Alaska packages. Alaska Inside Package, Alaska Experience Cruise, Vancouver Round Trip, One Way Out of Seattle. They have it all. They make it easier for you with adventure at every stop. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit royalcaribbean.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off. I love every tip-off. I love every one of them. And people ask me, hey, are you tipping off tonight? because they know that's code for, are the games on? And I'll say, yeah, come on over. Bring your kids. I don't care about the audio feed. You can walk in front of the television, because this time of year, the second half of the NBA, it's about family. And that's one of my favorite things about my life. Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Today's Life Advice is presented by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Unlimited 1.5% cash back is just the beginning. Earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% at drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? Learn more at chasefreedom.com. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. Life Advice. The email is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. All right. Let's hear it for the ladies. Hello. Hey. Uh, I found the pod last year via Bill Simmons. I've added it to the rotation. All right. Writing what I've deemed to be a rare female life advice email. Yes, they are rare. Kyle and I was, Kyle, you always get a little weird. At I'm first. sitting up straighter. I'm sitting up straighter right yeah. now. I can tell you that. Where's the gym? Okay. Um, it is rare. No impressive gym stats. Former D1 athlete. Additional info. I'm 30. Uh, I'm a Boston sports fan living in New York City. Successful career, friends, dog, et cetera. It sounds like, sounds like she's got it all. Not that one thing. Uh, the Boston thing in New York is not a big deal at all. Like you think it's a big deal and you're like, no, it isn't. In May, I broke up with my boyfriend in two years. Let's call him Zach. All right, so May. So yeah, we're talking seven, seven months. Uh, broke up with Zach, cut off all communication, which is normal when you break up. Unfortunately, uh, my ex has my email address and still sends cryptic emails such as, I can't believe you blocked me and quote, I feel so left out of your life. He's a Jets fan. So I guess he's used to constant disappointment. <laughs> wow. She's cool. Funny, yeah. successful wow. and cool. Wow. Wow. In my opinion, when you break up with no kids or other major factors tying you together, no further communication is necessary or healthy. 
This leads to question one. Is it okay to reach out to one of my ex's friends to see if they can encourage Zach to move on? I do not want to make any of our mutual friends feel awkward or drag them into a relationship that ended seven months ago. For some context, I was pretty close with this group of guy friends. I was often invited to the boys' days because I love sports and sports betting versus gossiping about the latest episode of The Bachelor with the other girlfriends. Or Bill Simmons. Hey, it's not just them. Wow. I still talk to a few of Zach's friends, mostly in relation to sports, but feel there's an open line of communication where I can bring this up. Would you guys feel awkward if your buddy's ex reached out to you? Yep. <laughs> Uh-oh. Short answer, yes. Does this completely break bro code? Uh, next question, less important. Feel free to skip. We're not going to do that to you. Any advice you have on how to organically meet guys in real life would be greatly appreciated. I've tried the apps, but have lost motivation to navigate creepy opening lines. When I'm out, I try to be open and strike up conversations, but my girlfriends think my flirting approach makes guys think I'm just trying to be friends. Oh, so it's like a toned down, flirty, punching in the arm sort of thing. Yeah. They punch him in the arm a lot. (laughs) Hat on backwards, two coarse lights, calling dudes by their last name. Come on, Russillo. A lot of back pats. I was being very specific. Um, there are some cute guys at the gym, but after listening to the pod, I'm terrified to interrupt anyone mid-lift. Photo attached. All right. What do we have here? We have a very attractive female. She's got an open back dress going on, a little woodsy landscape in the background, Aperol spritz. Uh, we're, we're, what we're going to do, we're going to make sure this happens. Do not be a dude asking if you can meet her and have Kyle forward you the email. <laughs> Let's just get that one out of the way immediately. Uh, you're cute. So guess what you can do? You can go up to whatever you want. Gym. Yeah. So <laughs> you can do whatever you want. You're going to get away with it. You know, I know the, I know the pay gap sucks, but a couple, a couple W's in your column where you can do pretty much whatever you want. Um, so I don't know. The dating advice thing, we don't do that great of a job with the dudes. I couldn't even fathom to go down that road. I'd <laughs> no. like to actually, I've thought about this, Kyle, and I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant to ever bring it up, but like I thought it might be worth bringing on some dating expert, a female, but I don't know who that person is. Like, I don't want to just a dating do it. expert. Somebody who's dated a lot of people. I don't know. You remember that dating PhD? show? Like there was a serious girl from the past where I ended up getting sucked into all the Bravo stuff. I'll admit it. I couldn't, I couldn't quit that shit. And I was watching it all with her. And then there would be that Patty who was the millionaire matchmaker. And I just hate watch that show. And honestly, I had way too much of a problem with that show because they had Paul Davis on who used to play for Michigan state and was on the Clippers for like a week. It was longer, but, and she introduced him as NBA star. And I was like, come on. You've what always had a problem fuck? with that. <laughs> you had a problem yeah. with the bachelor guys, ex pros. Oh, uh, like, it's one of my least favorite went to a things training in camp society. Yeah, guys pretending that their pro career was way more than it was, especially minor league baseball player. Like I get, there's not, you know, if you're G League, maybe you'll put pro basketball player on the Instagram profile. Football, it's a little harder. You yeah. know, played for the Rhine Fire. That's right. You know, <laughs> but baseball players. I mean, some of you guys are listening too. like when you put professional baseball player and you haven't made it past Reading, like I guess technically it's true. But, you do get checks to play baseball. That's true. right. But when, when somebody asks you who you played for and you're saying Altoona, 
Do you notice the disappointment in everybody's face? <laughs> no. Right? Or or on the DM thread, like, you know, because when you say professional whatever, the assumption is that you're in the biz. So I'm not trying to get in a fight with all the minor leaguers that listen to this whole thing. Um, but that was why we won't have Patty on. I don't even know what she's up to. Uh, but uh, yeah, somebody else, maybe younger, that could give the dudes some tips because I'm, I'm not that great at it. That's for sure. Uh, as far as giving advice. I'd be into that. I'd be into that. I'd like to sit in on that one if I could. I usually take a back seat, but I have some questions of my own, so. Yeah, well, you're on most pods, so I imagine you'd be here for that one. Yeah, all right. Okay, all right. So let's get back to the bigger uh, dilemma here. You're being really nice about this. Now, we don't know the context of the emails. They sound a little weird. I wonder what time he's sending them. Honestly, when you go full cutoff and you dumped him, then, you know, it's just whoever gets dumped is the one that's kind of a little bit. I am awesome to break up with. <laughs> like, you're not going to hear from me. I love that it's, about me, yeah, too. Well, yeah. It's great quality I have in myself. Yep. Yep. Not going to be a ton going on there. Uh, I guess, can't you block an email, too? That's what I was going to say. That's it. Hey, what is he? Michael Scott, his forwards are so hilarious. You want to keep him <laughs> on the list? I don't understand why you can't just add it to the list of block things Consume that you it. have him on. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I, um, I think there's part of that, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think we should tell her from the male perspective on this, that there's nothing wrong for you to go up to one of the friends and just say, hey, look, ways of a one-time deal, right? I don't think you're breaking bro code. I mean, I'd ask though, are the emails that bad? Are they that annoying? Like, it sounds like they're just kind of sad. And so, I mean, you're talking zero contact. You're not even going to send a, a, like, you're not going to get a Merry Christmas one, right? <laughs> And by the way, when did Thanksgiving turn into exes checking in? I'm over that one. Everyone's yeah. in town. No, but I'm just talking like, long and like hey, hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Like, save that shit for Christmas. <laughs> we don't need to turn Thanksgiving into this one, too. Although the ultimate mind fuck is the New Year's Eve one. It's like you just right around the fucking bell drop, <laughs> ball drop, excuse me, not bell. And uh, it's like, hey, <laughs> thinking about you. And you're like, that's right. Ruin my ruin my new year, man. Make out with some four. Fuck off. <laughs> All right. Uh I don't think I don't think there's any problem. I think we just need to answer it. And I think we already have told seven different stories within. Um, I don't know where I got that bell drop from. Is that is that Australian, perhaps? Anyway. <laughs> that could be the, the yeah. tough accent. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Scottish. I, like, I watched the vanishing. Maybe it popped in my head from that. So I think she's totally fine. Kyle, thoughts? I mean, I would save the, the the dude intervention for like a drug problem, gambling problem, something like that. I, I don't think be it like, was that, though. I, I thought it I was... I know it's not a dude intervention. It's just sort of like, you know, if that, if that guy's in a group chat, it, there's a chance it makes it in there. I mean, it, you just have to say the guy that you're going to go up to, is he going to be able to discreetly do this? Or is this going to be like, or is this guy's weird emails going to get thrown in? Not that you're going to send screenshots or anything. But like, if you if you give one of his du- dude friends the the situation, like, do you know that his dude friend's gonna handle it, you know, in, a, in an adult manner, or is he gonna be like, hey man, Stacy just hit me up and said you've been bugging her for the last seven months, and and now that's the new running joke, like, uh, you know, is is like I'm I'm so left out of your life, gonna be popping up in the group. I just I don't know. I just think. I think it'd be way easier to just block him because maybe he's <laughs> texting you other stuff and calling your number just to hear it ring. But how would you know? Because you blocked him. My point is you wouldn't even, 
you, you wouldn't even have this on your brain if you just blocked his email. And then if you started getting emails from a, you know, John Smith one at gmail.com instead of his name, then, then I guess then maybe you could talk to somebody. But I think that the easiest step would just be to, to do this. Cause if you don't, if you don't want him to be embarrassed in front of his friends, maybe you do, but if you don't want to, I would, I would wait until there's really no other where, no other place to turn. That's just what I would say, but I think whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you're right. I mean, it could be because it, it depends. Like if they're still really tight with him, they maybe turn, I don't know. I don't think they turn on you. I mean, the other thing is maybe ask one of the ones that's in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's a because, great way to pick them. <laughs> right. Because the guy that might be single be like, hey, guess who hit me up? <laughs> you know, guys could be really fucking weird. Like I actually was just asking you as a friend to like, do me this favor. No, I don't want to sleep with you. Like, yeah, dude, she does. Too wise when she said, hey. She does. You know what that was, means. <laughs> makes a ton of sense. Celtics are doing well. She's fucking feeling it. <laughs> Hit me up. Like, dude, I got to talk to you. She said something about emails, but I'm pretty sure she wants to bang. All right. Um, I don't know. We were super helpful there. I think we were. I think you got two great options. I think we're pro your whole theory here that, you know, but I, I guess we're both asking, like, how bad is it? If it's bad enough, you're emailing the show asking us that it's probably pretty bad. The email seems sort of sad if the yeah. ones you shared with us are the general tone of season one of these emails. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I don't know. You could also just say, hey, dude. Stop no more. emailing. <laughs> no more. She's probably <laughs> trying to do that, though. She's probably trying to do that. All right. So, OK, uh, next one. Help wanted. I'm fat. All right. Real simple. <laughs> Keep it brief. Former college and small-time pro athlete. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Oh, soccer in Europe. Yeah, that counts. Or does it? I don't know. I don't know that one as well. Um, is there a Pawtucket? <laughs> we would need Steve for this. We would Pawtucket need Steve FC. This. <laughs> athleticism is always a big strength for me compared to others since I grew into my body in college. For years, I followed different diets different methods of adding, dropping weight. I've seen a trainer for nearly 15 years now. I'm 29. You've had a trainer since you were 14? I know my way around a gym, and in the past, I've, uh, I've known my way around food intake. All right, so you eat a lot. I'm 6'2". Playing weight was always 200. Post-playing weight, once I moved to New York City, was always 220-ish, maybe 225 max, but felt fine. Since COVID, I've been consistently training higher. I'm now 247. I'm not proud of myself. No pants or work clothes fit. I feel awful physically all the time. I think it may have hit my rock bottom after a fall of sitting and watching football. I just want to get back to my solid weight where my current wardrobe fits and I don't always think about dieting. I've tried past diets that have worked. I've cut out alcohol for the most part. I've tried to focus on making changes. Did you cut out alcohol because of the weight or because you don't want to go out anymore? Um, but when in the past I could cut a quick 10 to 15, it means pounds in a week or two, uh, or fully commit to an extended period of time. I'm really struggling to string together a couple good days at this point. I mentally just feel defeated and I don't even know where to start anymore. I do not have much on my plate, pun intended for this upcoming January, February, and really asking for some advice on how mentally to get back up off the mat and start going in the right direction again. Happy holidays. And thanks for all that you do. Okay. Uh, 
All right. A little tough love. You were mad enough to send the email in, right? We've talked about this. Like, there's nothing. Everybody is different, right? It sucks. It sounds like you might have one of the metabolisms where now, whatever. Clearly, the eating part of this is fucking you up. Uh, there's a couple of different things you can try. All right. When I want to do something new, I have to do it. Like, I'm studying a foreign language right now. I have to do a little bit every day. And if I, if I get through those 30 days or so of doing that, then it feels weird when I'm not doing it. Like when I first tried to write, I was like, holy shit, this sucks. And then when I did it and I thought about it and I'd write down a line or I'd write down an idea or a scene outline or could this person be this or could this character work here? Or is the twist here? What could happen here at the end? Once I started doing it regularly, it felt weird when I didn't do it. When I went a few days without doing it, I was like, oh man, you're slipping up. Okay. Uh, there's also another part of like the working out thing where, and again, this isn't for everybody, so don't get pissy about it, but sometimes it's like getting yourself new sneakers and get some new workout gear, which isn't going to fit when you lose all this weight. See what I just did there? Planted a little seed of positivity. Seeing that stuff would be like, all right, I'm fucking doing this. You've already had a trainer. You already know how to work out. You're not really small, okay? So you're overweight and you're going to go to the gym. So there shouldn't be any anxiety about that thing. I think the worst thing for the gym isn't the person that's super overweight. It's the guy that's never done it, trying to do it later on in his life, is skinny as hell and feels super fucking awkward, has all this anxiety about going into the gym. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And by the way, I was that kid when I was in high school. So like I'm I'm speaking from experience of like, it's the worst fucking feeling. You're like, I feel like the biggest loser ever, but you're in there. Okay. You're in there. So fuck everybody. You're in there and you decided to make a change. You've already done this. Okay. Now in the eating thing, stop eating before you go to bed. I can already fucking tell you do that. The other thing is go get the fancy juices. All right. Get the 10, $12 juices, put them in the fridge, start your day. Don't eat anything in the morning. Drink the juice and have that juice take you after the workout. Again, I don't know what your schedule is, but like don't eat anything until you eat lunch. All right. You need to figure out a way to get to the caloric deficit that is the opposite of whatever it is you're doing right now. And like when you said you cut out, that's great. You cut out drinking, but like, are you just not going out or doing anything? And is it because you thought the alcohol was making you fat? or you were eating because you were shit-faced and eating awful stuff. Because I'll tell you, just sitting around doing nothing all the time <laughs> and not doing anything, like you should want, there's a social aspect of this where you should want to look better. And now be, I'm just wondering if all this plays together, you're not going out because you don't feel good about yourself. Dude, I'm telling you, when you eat, I'm not like the greatest eater, but when I eat that awful meal, it reminds me why I don't eat it that way all the time. Because I'm not used to it. I will smash two double cheeseburgers. I'll just fucking do it. All right. And then I'm like, well, not going to do that again for a while. And you're eating probably so badly that you don't even, you're not even like noticing the difference. So uh, I'm making some assumptions here, but I don't think they're totally off base. You already have it in you. This isn't, hey, I've never worked out. I've never done anything athletically. I don't know what that's about. I'm 35 and I'm overweight and I'm pissed. That guy has it way worse than you have it. You have the foundation of some of these things that you've done in the past where you should be able to revert back to it. So get fucking pissed at yourself. You want to be 280 in another couple of years? You know you don't. But if you keep sitting around eating like shit, never doing anything, that's exactly what's going to happen. I know that was harsh, but that was because he was an athlete and he could take it. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised what you said. The the You stopped with the booze and you uh, looked at your food. I mean, 
The booze, I mean, I've looked at my food. The booze, the only thing hold me back. But yeah, I thought that would, I thought that was going to work. Now I'm a little worried for when I finally cut out the booze. Wait, what? No, I'm saying that, that guy, when he said he was like, I stopped drinking. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm assuming is holding me back. Now I'm a little worried that that's not going to be the only answer. Yeah, but whatever. This is about this guy. Um, yeah, I got no, but to sometimes it's it. about, sometimes it's about you. Wait, are you a bad eater, Kyle? Um, I'm doing a lot more chicken with a big red meat guy. There's a beautiful delicatessen right right on the other side of my building. It's it's basically sometimes I'll go. It's frolic, Trader Joe's. Don't even know what I get there sometimes. Just like that looks good, but it's it's always under like seventy bucks. Um, like and then I walk home with that, and then there's the fucking delicatessen staring me right in the face, and it's like God, oh, there's a prime rib. But now I still go in there, but I'm getting the boneless um chicken breast. So I've been happy with that. That's been about a month. A month in in the in progress, so that's so no more bone in chicken breast for you. No, I'm just no more fucking boneless ribeye is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, okay. that's been, so I'm like once once the uh, once the booze falls off, watch out. But now I'm worried that that because that didn't happen for this guy. Now I don't know what's gonna happen. But I've always been sort of. I think uh, he's telling us he sat around and done nothing. All yeah. right, because he was like since COVID and whatever. And I know some people are gonna think I was a little too harsh to that. I, I was don't doing think that so. for I was doing that for a reason. I'm hoping he listens to that and goes, fuck yeah. Because I right. think athletes respond to that unless you're out of the next rotation. <laughs> All right. Today's life advice was presented by Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn big time with Chase Freedom Unlimited. Earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, 3% on dining, including takeout, 3% at drugstores, and 1.5% on everything else. How do you cash back? Chase, make more of what's yours. Restrictions and limitations apply. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan, Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. That'll do it for life advice. And Daniel Jeremiah, hope everybody had a great show. We had a blast. Uh, and we will talk to you on Friday. Brian Russell Podcast, right here on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.